another Level Heads podcast. This week we've got Tony Frazier of Frazier Home Design, uh, not Frazier Architecture. Get into that, talk about that a little bit. Tony does an amazing job designing homes. Uh, he is has gone national, uh, designing homes all over the country now. Uh, we talk about tech and software that he's working with. We talk about home design and where that came from. And we talk about him stepping back uh, and giving his team some more power, how they're structured, how he got into this industry. Uh, it's great. Listen, and after you listen, make sure you go on wherever you're getting this podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and leave us a review. Preferably not a one-star review, but maybe something north of that. And uh, seriously, leave us an honest review and uh, make sure make sure to check out, well, if you did check out, Tony's Instagram page on Friday, the stories, and uh, leave us a comment about Boys to Men. Welcome into the Levelheads, everybody. Today on the show, we've got Tony Frazier from Frazier Home Design. I'm a big fan of Tony, and I've been following his work on Instagram. He does some amazing exteriors on his homes. Uh, I'm also a big fan of all the Metallica and heavy metal music he puts onto his Instagram. We'll talk about that. So without further ado, Tony, bring us in. Wait, 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 wait. we got to introduce ourselves. I'm Mike Conley from Greenside Design Build. I'm Zane Ellis with Collective Build Company. I'm Jamie Verdura with Verdura Construction. And now you. And I'm Tony Frazier with Frazier Home Design. (laughs) Happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Tony, first question: How'd you come up with the name? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm not that original. So we design homes. Last name is Frazier. It. <laughs> it just kind of worked. Got it. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, it, it was sort of a, a, or the thought process um, was like, what do I, what do I do? Do I just like come up with this really cool name, which a lot of firms did in our area? Or do I just kind of use my name? And I don't know if it's ego or whatever you want to call it. But uh, in the end, I was like, yeah, I think I'll do my name. I don't want to call it like Tony's drafting service or something. So uh Frazier Home Design just just kind of worked and and I think sums it up. So when, when people see it, they know exactly what we do and and hopefully uh, know our name. Cool. So what area of the country are you operating out of? What's your stomping ground? We are based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and even five years ago, that's really all we, we, we drew in this area in what we call the Triangle area here locally, which is Raleigh, Durham and Chapel Hill. Um, we drew a little bit in the mountains and a little bit at the beach and over the past five years with the social media aspect of our company kind of coming alive, we've drawn all over the country now, not, not in all 50 States, but we're drawing in a lot of them, um, with our hot spots being, I think probably the, the places we draw on the most for whatever reason are Atlanta and Nashville and, uh, Salt Lake city, Utah and Oklahoma city. For whatever reason, we, we get calls from those areas weekly. Um, but we've drawn in several other States as well. Cool. That's great. I love your stuff with yeah, um, Pike Properties. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Pike Properties, awesome company in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, they uh, they bought some plants. They, they use for stereo designs and they use us. And they are also, I think, starting their own thing kind of in-house. And Oh, wow. They don't do a ton of like design with us, ironically, where they kind of 
where rubber eats the road for them. It's more of like interior design and um, they're, they're mainly like buying stock plans. We're not really a stock plan seller, yeah. but since it's in a little different area, we'll, we'll sometimes take plans and, and sell them. And, and they're a big proponent of that. They, they buy stock plans for us and for Syria and, and sort of put their little spin on it, yeah. which is cool. Um, so they're, they're a spec. I don't, I don't want to get too much into Pike, but they're a spec builder that builds in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that they kill it. They do zero pre-sales. They refuse to take a pre-sale and, uh, they do an awesome job with it. They're, they're one of the best yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's actually originally, uh, we've been following you on, on Instagram for, for a pretty good while now. Um, but I think that's originally how we came across your work. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice to hear. Yeah. We, uh, and Mike, is that, is that how you found us as well? I feel like you and I have been talking for a while. Yeah. Yeah. The wonderful world okay. of Instagram. I mean, it's amazing. The powerful, of the how powerful the gram is. Jamie had a great story yesterday about the power of the gram yeah that was a, a random one no just uh just cruising in the car and uh on a sunday and just just video in the beach and you know i don't know call him a kite surfer kind of guy just, just cruising along right nothing major just posted that that was it a couple hours later i get a dm and the guy's like hey can you send me that footage that's me random right so i'm <laughs> like all right with the odds of the guy's following me and the guy watched the story, right? Kind of stars align there. Yeah. And at the bottom, yeah. he goes, hey, uh, by the way, we got a major development coming up. We want to get together with you and chat. Just like that. No like way. it's it's <laughs> the power of the gram. Yeah, it's pretty That's rad. It's all so that was cool. Power of the gram. It's, it's funny. When I, when I got on it, it's not like we got on Instagram as a company and said, okay, we're going to do all these things. And this is how it's going to fit into our business model. And here's where I'm going to take it. And, and we're going to draw all over the country. It didn't really happened like that. I initially found out about the app through my niece and jumped on and, and saw that other architects that I followed throughout the country were already on there. And it was so cool that, that I would see them like do a little sketch and, and post it or do a little video in their office of, of the entire team or go out on site. And it was this sort of intimate portrayal that, that you don't really get on the website. It's not, you know it's so polished on the website and you don't really get that. So I, I just love the intimacy, yeah. for lack of a better word, of it all. And then um, once it kind of took off. I was like, Oh, this is, this is a thing. Like I, we're getting calls off of that. I can't believe I, I just got a call from Utah off of like photos that I'm posting of the houses or me again on site, just panning around showing construction. So it was, it's pretty cool. And, and, and now, you know, we, we look up and look at our business. It's probably a third of our work is out of state all, all due to Instagram as scary as that sounds. So that's awesome. I'm, I'm on, on the prowl for the next best best thing. So I, I don't know if it's going to pull up MySpace on us at any time. But yeah, it's awesome. We're on quite a bit of work from Instagram, which is great. And nice. Then, uh, I think people get to know you a little bit, and it's kind of an icebreaker. Yeah. They like your like what you're putting down. You know. Yeah. Easy to reach in. Point. Like I yeah. said, it's an intimate portrayal of the of the company. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the community sure. that it's offering. Yeah, I, been amazing. I've been a huge admirer of your work over over the last probably two years, Tony, and. I've been trying to figure out a way to work with you because I'm in the Chicago market. And of, of course, everything is difficult in Chicago. There's more red tape. Everything we submit to our building departments has to have an architect stamp. And right. I explain, uh, talk to us about that. Um, you're not a, a, an architect, you're a home designer. Talk to us a little about that and then we'll jump into some other related stuff. Yeah. So, so that's a, uh, I could, I could talk for hours on that and there's a lot of different perspectives there, but, but we, are a home design, a residential design company, and um, we, we're not licensed architects. 
um, essentially all that means is we don't hold the architectural license that, that allows people to, you know, seal drawings and draw commercial, it, but ironically, all residential, certainly where we're located is are all done, or, or I, would, I don't want to say all, but 90% of the time they're home designers. And you've heard this, these statistics before, but like, I, I think like 90% of all homes, I'm throwing out a number here, don't quote me. Don't record this, but 90% of all homes are, are not drawn by architects. They're drawn by, you know, draftsmen or home designers or wh whatever you want to call them. Um, so we're not a licensed architectural firm, but you don't need a license to draw residential in most parts of the country. Um, haven't drawn anything in Chicago that hasn't come up. We've had those conversations where it essentially in Chicago, there's an issue in New York City, or not even the city, but in Long Island, there's an issue. We've, we've had to work some people there, but I haven't really ran across any issues in other parts of the country at all. So essentially what we do and what we've always done is we partner with a structural engineer. So we do the full architectural drawings with uh, you know cross sections, building sections, details, and then we coordinate with a structural engineer. And you guys know this, but all they do all day long are draw structural plans and, and joists and beams and layouts. And so ultimately we send them our plan with a blank roof plan, blank foundation. They add everything to the plan and then we just take it, overlay it, cross-reference it, make sure all our details still work, make suggestions, go back and forth a little bit until ultimately we combine our drawings and then go to the permit office. And so when I'm working out of state, we do the exact same thing. I, I meet with the builder very early, early on talk about any zoning issues or code issues that, that may come up and go ahead and ask the questions about the structural engineer, start that process earlier. And then ultimately, once we get the plans done in Utah, team up with the builder structural engineer that generally they always have in place. Where it gets a little more complicated is it, it certainly in rural areas, a lot of permit offices don't require a structural engineer. They don't require an architect seal either, but they don't care about a structural engineer at all. So a lot of builders ultimately are like, hey, all I need is a roof plan. That's it. Or all I need is a foundation. My, my lumber supplier will do everything else. Don't worry about it. And so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty funny the differences throughout the country. Um, but, but most of them just need a structural engineer stamp in combination with ours. And uh, that, that's really it. It's the same thing here in Knoxville, too. Just need a structural oh, okay. plan. And, you know, you can draw it with crayon if you want to in some, in some municipalities around here. Do you work with a lot of like licensed architects in the residential field? Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, I think it just depends. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of people here that, that will go, like you said, and buy a stock plan and, you know, they'll want to, uh, they'll want to, um, tweak it, you know, move some walls or, you know, turn an area into like a Jack and Jill between the bedrooms. We've done that before. Uh, but mostly it's just aesthetic kind of stuff. And, uh, nothing structural at all but if it is then we'll have a structural engineer kind of draw that for us and uh submit that once it's all done submit that to the uh to our structure providers um typically for us it's a lumber company um and then submit it to uh submit it to the municipality now there is there is one or two here in this the city of knoxville is getting to where they prefer um uh an architect stamp but it's not a requirement. So they try to... Interesting. Yeah, it's not a requirement yet, but it feels like they're going to go that way. Interesting. And, and you know, it, it has never, like I said, in Chicago, New York, or whatever, it hasn't 
been a problem ever. I mean, clients don't really ask about it. And we kind of explain that up front and we have that all over their website that we're not licensed architects, but it's, it's never, it's kind of the work speaks for itself. Um, and, and you know, what's, what's funny about it is anybody can call themselves a home designer. So any builder can say I'm the designer or, you know, a guy right out of school could say I'm a home designer. So that's, that's where it gets a, a little sticky where, you know, what, what we do is we really customize the home to the homeowner, to the lot. So it's not just like a drafting service. And, and that's where we started, by the way, you know, 2007, when I started the company, it was more of kind of production S where we draw like one plan and have four different elevations on it. And we kind of just turn and burn more type of work. And ultimately kind of changed over the years for several different reasons into more custom where we're doing the exact same thing that any, you know, high-end home designer would do um, working with a custom home buyer. So we're working, homeowners come to us directly and say, I have this blank plot of land that I want to build on. And um, we design a home that fits their lifestyle. I, I draw it live in front of them and get direct feedback and move rooms around and ultimately design something very specific to their lifestyle, but also to the lot and to their budget, by the way, which is super important. Um, but but we, when we look at the land, I'm thinking about the views or the lack of views and the trajectory of the sun and the topography. Um, and I'm also, as I mentioned, their budget, which is super important. We bring that up very early. We talk about it every single meeting. And then again, along that's how with, I know uh, you're not an architect. Wait, <laughs> right. I was going to say that joke, but I figured I'd, I'd better not. There's probably lots of architects. I'm, listening a, I'm offending architects that. right now, but <laughs> if you so talk we, about we the like budget early, you're not an architect. <laughs> we are more of a partner with the builder. And, and I think all good firms are architectural firms too. If, anybody that, that wants the, I, I want the project to be successful. I don't want just this really expensive art project that the client keeps on the shelf and never builds. But I also don't like the emotional aspect of when we get far along and the client's all excited. You know, at first it's excitement and then it's kind of stress once we put everything together and they realize how their budget kind of hits the road or their wish list meets their footage. And then it gets very exciting when we work it all the way through. And then if you wait until then to get numbers from the builder, a lot of times that backpedaling psychologically for a homeowner, is just not fun anymore. We, you yeah. know, so it's, I, the, the first thing I say to homeowners when they come to me without builders is it's a really good idea to start conversations with builders. If you don't necessarily need to lock in with one, it, it's great if you lock in with one and they're at every meeting that that's the most successful way to, to run the project. But a lot of homeowners are a little weary of that initially when they come to us. So I always say, talk to three builders, whatever it may be. All of them are going to say that I need a set of plans to price the home, right? That nobody's going to give you a price or a square footage price from thin air. But ultimately, what I try to sort of extract from the builder is they want to build 5,000 square feet. Their budget is $2 million. Depends on finishes, but is that even like a, does that even make sense? Is that a trajectory that, that makes sense? And most builders will say, well, it all depends on finishes. You know, a lot of different things can go in this house, but yes, I can see a way to get to that price. And then also have builders that say, look, man, I, I just built a 5,000 square foot house. It was 3 million all day long. Yeah. There's, there's no way, no matter what you do, that you could get to that price. So that's like step one. And then once we get to revision two or three, when things are super pliable, then we go back to the builder, even if they're not locked in, um, we go back to the builder and I kind of keep that going the entire time. Because I, I preach to homeowners all the time that the three things I need to design the house successfully are you and your wish list and the way you guys live. 
the land and all the things I just spoke about and the budget. And so those three things are talked about the entire time at every single meeting that we have all the way back and forth. That's because gold. the last thing that I want to do is get to the very end and realize that I need to strip this plan in half. Mm -hmm. And, and, and how do I get paid for that? Like, that's a fun oh, conversation, right? I don't want to have right. those conversations. Yep. I want this whole thing to be fun. All that's a lot of work for you. If you don't ever <laughs> consider the budget, because at the end of the day, selfishly, yeah. it's more work for me, but also I want, I want it's, it's art, right? Like I want to see this realized and see this built. I'm super excited about it. Just as excited as the homeowners are. So I want, I want to see this come to fruition. Um, and again, it's, I don't want to do that backpedaling thing. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. That's sage advice yeah. for sure. I wish more architects would keep budget uh, as a more important item on their checklist. Uh, doesn't happen often enough. I, like I said, I can't imagine it being, I, I wouldn't draw the house without knowing the client's wish list. I wouldn't draw the house without knowing the land. I would, if they came to me and said, I don't have a lot, I wouldn't draw it. And I certainly wouldn't draw it without the budget. And it's, yeah. Again, it's every single meeting. I can't imagine doing it without it. So another we're, thing, those haywire is always where somebody's like, um, "It'll be fine, no matter what it is. It, you know, we're, we're going to make it work. Yep. Don't, don't worry, we're going to make it work." Yeah. So those, those are red flags. <laughs> those are red flags for me. Different. Something else I want to jump into, Tony, is when you work out of state, out of state clients. Tell me how that your process works when you're working with an out of state client, and how various tools like technology makes it easier, makes it more difficult. I know the person's not sitting there in your office, right? So yeah. how do you, how does that process work? Great question. I wish I could like share my screen and show you, and we'll, we'll do that Mike in a, in a few weeks or next week or whatever. But, um, years ago I started on, on trash paper, just like everybody else. And I would sit people down in my conference room and I would sketch and then I would sketch out like the family room in the kitchen. And then we talk about how that laid out and they'd want something different. I'd put another layer on and sketch and another layer and sketch and another layer. And then by the end of the meeting, I had 30 different layers of, of trash paper. And the, it's funny, the initial thought that, that one of my project managers and I had, I was like, well, we can do this out of state. If you just hold my phone over me sketching and maybe we develop this cool arm that can hold over and then people can see it. It'll be awesome. Well, well, Thank goodness that never came to fruition, but a builder came in one day with an iPad pro and he was, he was making notes on it. And I was like, can I sketch you think on that? And he said, absolutely. So I went and bought an iPad pro that day, brought it home, downloaded a bunch of apps, wasn't really finding the one. And then I was, I follow a guy named, uh, I think it's T Scott Carlisle, I believe he's an awesome artist architect. And I saw that he was doing hashtag uh, Procreate, which is an app that, that, that I found through him that I use now. And, it's, and he was doing all these sketches and it sort of like did a time lapse of everything. So I downloaded that app and realized that I could sketch on it really easily. And what's so cool about it is I could sketch out a family room and a kitchen and, and make it smaller, make it bigger, rotate it, put it on a different layer, overlay on top of it and have 15 different layers and then and then at the end of the meeting, I can hit send and send that to a client. And it, so it, it circumvented all of that. And it wasn't until later, I was like, wait a minute, can, can I take this on my iPad and put it up on the screen in the conference room and like show clients instead of like sliding my iPad back and forth? And it, so we, we started with that. And then at some point we had an intern that was like, dude, you know, you can like share your screen online. I was like, no, this is before Zoom and everything. Yeah. So when that happened, it, it was a game changer. Long story short, huge game changer. We went digitally to the iPad Pro. So I sketch live in front of all of our clients. I will start off with their land, talk about the sun trajectory, look at the topography, and 
prior to this sketch, I have, we've already met maybe one or two times. I have a long list. We've had lots of conversations and I will, I will start to sketch on their lot. So I'll just sketch like a family room in a kitchen, as I mentioned earlier, and I'll get direct feedback from them. So ultimately, and, and by the way, Mike, this happens in my conference room, the exact same way that it happens via zoom. They see my screen, it pops up on their computer and they watch me sketch live. And again, when I sketch something, I get direct feedback from the client. They'd say, no, I don't really like that there. Or, that's not what I expected. Or I love it. Or I'm, I'm not sure. And I'll just, I'll just keep tweaking and mo moving things around like puzzle pieces until ultimately, you know, fast forward an hour and we, we've got a plan laid out. Where it, not like super detailed where I know the layout of every single bathroom, but we know where all the rooms are located. Wow. It is to a pretty good scale on their lot. And essentially, once they approve that, that's when it kind of goes to the next stage and gets put into the computer and gets put into 3D and becomes a little bit more real. But then every single meeting, we pull that up and I redline the drawings live in front of them. Um, so it's it happens a lot where we don't fly out, as crazy as that sounds. I, I generally will get a homeowner to take like a video on site and um, I will look up their local GIS sites to get all the topography information. Um, and then I will just have Zoom calls. And, and, you know, half the time I fly out, but a lot of the time the clients are like, no, you, we're good. You don't necessarily need to fly out. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny, and I know you guys know this as builders, a lot of times when I go out on site, I'm like, even after doing this for, for 20 years, I'm like, I think the site slopes like six feet, pretty sure. And then I go back to the office, I plug the topography and get everything done. I'm like, oh, it slopes 12 feet. <laughs> so, so ironically, I can tell a lot more from maps and topography and things that I can see it in person, the things that I, that I need to see in person, which is nice is obviously it's good to put face to face with the client, but also it's good to get a feel for the neighborhood and the vibe of things mm -hmm. you can't necessarily get as much online. But like if I drive through the neighborhood and get a feel and stop at a local coffee shop and have lunch with them, it, that it's, it's hard to replace that. But as far as the technicality of the land and fitting a house to the site and knowing the sun trajectory, I can do that much better on paper than I can from visiting the site. So the combination of the two are, are generally best. It's really good to hear you say that about the neighborhood and driving through. Cause um, so my wife and I were just in Nashville this past weekend. <clears throat> we live in Knoxville, uh, but we went to see John Mayer and, you know, we used to live in Nashville and would drive through and in, in, infill building is, it's a big thing in Charlotte too. I think, um, I don't know big for you guys. It's not, it's not really huge in Knoxville at this point, but in Nashville, a lot of people are tearing down old homes and they're building two back in its place. But, you know, we've noticed a lot now that it's like kind of taken off and it's really the primary form of building in, in the city of Nashville now is that the houses don't match the neighborhood at all. You know, you're driving through this old community you know, where there's ranch houses and craftsman houses and, you know, uh, Victorian houses and all this. And then somebody plops two modern houses with flat roofs right in the middle of this neighborhood. And you're like, dude, like, come on, let's get creative and try to do a house that has a modern feel that fits the neighborhood because these houses are going to be here for decades, you know. So right. one of my and pet peeves now. argument against that the argument against that that we hear is that, oh, they're all going to be torn down eventually yeah. anyways. But, but I'd like to, and I can't say that I haven't done that, but I like to get a feel for the neighborhood and blend in as much as possible. Yeah. But 
you know, we, we're, we're in the Southeast. We have people coming from all over the country here in, in droves um, from all different parts. And most of them want, you know, something a little bit more modern, yeah. a little bit more edgy. So that there are ways to kind of blend that in. But if we can kind of pull from the history of the area and, and stay kind of low and, and, and zoning laws help make, make that happen. Right. But, but if we can stay low and humble for lack of a better word and, and blend in versus like stick out like a sore thumb, um, it's so much better for the community. And and that's super important to us and to most of our clients. And and we hear that all the time is I, I want something cool and edgy and modern, but I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. And, um, you know, it's certainly done in Raleigh, Raleigh's, I mean, pretty much most of our work, I would say, is all infill. So, so Raleigh has a historic area that we call like inside the Beltline, where there's a, a highway that wraps around the city. Um, and within that area, there's there's a ton of teardown, and it's just happened over the past three years. I would say we're outside of that corridor. It's starting to have a, a lot of action as well, as far as infill goes. Yeah. But there's there's not a lot of land left for for new sort of builder team neighborhoods with you know forty lots. It doesn't yep. happen as much as it did ten yep. years ago. Yep, for sure. And I may get obliterated for that opinion later, but I, you know, I always like to drive, you know, I, I, I love the neighborhood aspect of these cities, you know, that it's this neighborhood and this neighborhood. And I don't ever want it to feel, you know, patchy. Like, you know, it's it, to me, it's a little bit like doing a remodel and you can tell, like, if you add on to the house and it's like, oh, that addition sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, the whole house is right. brick except for that vinyl siding on your addition on the back, you know, it's a big Absolutely. pet peeve. And we could have a podcast about that subject, like an entire, you know, we'd have several yeah. podcasts of, <laughs> about that. But ultimately what, what we see are, again, clients coming from different areas of the country, certainly out West, and um, they want to have a certain level of house. They, there you go. Hey, Jamie. <laughs> they have a certain level of house. And a lot of these guys are in the four or $5 million range. And it's next to a house that was built, you know, in the early 1900s. And somebody bought it in the 1980s for 175 grand. And, and they just, it's, it's hard to communicate with that completely, but just pulling from yeah. those ideas and that vibe. Um, I know Mike, you, you probably have infill, all infill, I would imagine. And it sounds like Zane as well. So you guys get, get the feel, but it's, it's hard to um, compete with a 1920s bungalow when, when somebody wants 5,000 square feet and $6 million. Well, tell them no, Tommy. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Tell so, them no. Tell them how irresponsible they are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm a, I have a little bit of an opposing view on that. Um, you know, I do a lot of infill. Uh, I think if you have good architectural style, genuine style, something that's timeless, even if it's a little different from the neighborhood, I still think it's going to work. Now, that being said, if you're trying to slam a, a, you know, a 1990s California Hills modern type home into right. an oh, old neighborhood, California, yeah, that's road. definitely going to stick out. But you know what? If it's done right, it it can work too. Yes, now, I've seen it work. I will say, I agree. And to but, your point, if it's it's sort of a timeless classic style, I think it works a yes. lot better. I keep using the word modern, but if something's a, a little bit more clean and kind of stark, yeah, um, it, it sticks out a lot more than something that you know might not be a 1920s bungalow, but it's you know yeah. derived from English architecture yeah. from the late 1800s. And again, the big thing is being humble and kind of bringing down those roof lines. And and not starting at your second floor plate. Start yeah. everything much like these houses behind. No, me I was going to say. I mean, can't hear, but starting everything at the first floor plate, even though it's a five thousand square foot house, and just kind of bringing things up subtly and having a much smaller second floor. 
the reason we sort of utilize dormers to achieve that, right? The reason I, I, I kind of have an opposing view on that is we've run into some areas where they have historic commissions, and some of those commissions have a little bit too much power, I think, where they're kind of dic- they're dictating the the architecture. They're telling you what you can design, and if they have their way, everything's going to be you know it's going to be a whole neighborhood full of Queen Anne's, and we don't want that either. Right. We want some variety. Now, I want quality. I don't want cookie cutter type, slap it up type houses, but it doesn't have to necessarily match the neighborhood exactly. It can it can right. be its own entity, but be tastefully done. I'm probably going to get a lot of pushback on that opinion as well. No, but. no, I mean, I I think most people agree with that, and I agree with that. I, you know, I the pet peeve I would say for me is the ones that stick out like a sore thumb that they take nothing from the neighborhood, you know, you're going, and even if it's a new neighborhood, there's a lot there that do that. And I, I think they're doing it to get attention to sell the house. Right. But you know, there, I think there's a tasteful way to do it and timeless is a great word for it. So I, I mean, we have it on our website. I mean, like literally classic and timeless. So, I mean, that, that's really the design we're going after. That's too. real original. Yeah. Well, we, we coined it. We coined those two words. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was mentioning zoning earlier. Um, zoning is, is huge in Raleigh and has stepped up quite a bit in the past five years because of all the infill. And they essentially are limiting the, the footprint and living the volume of the home that you can build. And they limit things to just really quickly. Like the front setback has to be almost in line with the existing homes, no matter if they're 1920s bungalow that's like pushed way back on the lot or way forward or whatever the case may be. There's certain formulas to achieve the front setback. They limit sidewall height to 25 feet and overall height to 40 feet. And and those are parameters that we need to work in. But at some point, what happens is the lot price gets so high and the volume of house that you need to fit to make that lot price make sense, that those don't really align yeah. anymore. And And we're touching on that now where a client's like, look, I just paid 1.5 for this lot. And so I need this certain amount of house. And I'm like, well, zoning, I mean, there's no way that we can achieve that footprint based on this lot. So it's this weird, I don't know the answer there, but it, it's, it, we are seeing it come up where I'm like, Hey, call me before you buy the lot. Not, not after, yeah. please. Yeah, We, well, we should talk that. offline. There's lots, there's lots of little tricks <laughs> that we got up here that we use nice. to get around FAR and all that type of stuff. 25 foot cantilever. Absolutely. On so tony i wanted to talk to you too about you mentioned uh 3d modeling that's one area i find that some of the architects that i've worked with in the past are a little they fall a little bit behind when it comes to 3d modeling because clients love to see 3d as early as possible in the process it really helps them visualize actually i think it was you that gave me the contact uh for the renderer that i use now Um, oh nice the guy out of uh, is he Argentina or someplace? He's in South America. Argentina. Yeah. Nice. Um, but I, I use that guy a lot to render these um, plans outside of the architect just to show these clients, you know, what it's going to look like in 3D. It really helps them judge what the, judge the space, judge the, the forms. Uh, we use a lot for exterior selections. Um, you can change colors nice. and textures. But talk to us about how you're using 3D modeling and, and when you start using it in the process. Um, so I'll back up a little bit. Initially, we 
you know, did everything in 2D, and I would rely on my hand sketching. Nobody likes to see a 2D CAD drawing of an exterior. No homeowner's ever approved that, so that looks awesome. So I would, we'd, we'd, I'd start with hand sketches, it would go into CAD, and then I would hand sketch throughout the entire process. And when somebody said, hey, what does that kitchen look like, or what do the stairs look like, I would just live sketch really quickly and draw perspectives inside. And, and that turned later on, years later, that we started using SketchUp, but ultimately we would do SketchUp kind of like at the end of the project. So we'd do everything in 2D and, and kind of get approval and go, okay, now that it's approved, now we're going to go to 3D and get those renderings and go into SketchUp and show you different items, whether you know, it, it was somewhat difficult, like, all right, I'm going to show you just the stairs, not the whole house. I'm going to show you just the family room or certainly the exterior front rendering. And, and again, hope you like it because if they made changes, you go from SketchUp back to CAD, make those changes, then back to SketchUp, and then, oh, you want more changes? Back to CAD, then back to SketchUp. And it just wasn't very efficient for us. So that we're certainly not the, the leading firm by any means on this, but a lot of firms are switching over to Revit. Um, I heard about a um, program called Archicad, which is kind of like the European version of Revit, and ultimately decided that was the route for us. So a, about two years ago, I started looking into it and called up Graphisoft, and um, they told us the, the path, and it, it's such a huge undertaking. I don't, I don't know a good analogy for a builder, but to switch software that, that my guys have been working on for all of them, you know, it, it, at least been working on for 10 years, there's some younger guys as well, but, but they've been drawing on the same thing, and to suddenly go in and be like, okay, our deadlines aren't going to stop, but we need to learn a new software and draw into a new 3D program, and we can't build less. We have to keep all that going. So that, that was a, a huge, a huge undertaking. So ultimately, you kind of have to grasp, all right, I'm, I'm going to have a loss of production, uh, a loss of potential like like quality, for lack of a word, or what we're showing clients, but we need to jump in head first. And, and the way we did is we started on actual projects in 3D um, from day one. Like we didn't have like a pet project. You're like, hey, let's all draw this house on the side and learn this software. We like started with real active projects huh. drawing from day one. And ultimately, and they, the software company was right. That's the best way to do it. Because if we just had a pet project off to the side, I think we'd still be working on that, those pet projects. Like, when do you have time to stop what you're doing on an active project and client going, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? And, and go to this other project. So we needed to do it with active projects. And, but that's really scary because we don't quite know the software we're, we're presenting to a client in like two weeks, right? And so it, it was a huge undertaking, loss of production, cost of the software, builders going, man, the plans look weird. <laughs> you know? and, and, but ultimately, we, we get into this full 3D software to answer your question, Mike. So now we are fully immersed. Everybody, all 12 of us, everybody's drawing in Archicad. We're drawing full 3D drawings, and it starts day one. So we're drawing in 3D all the time. So the 2D drawings are really just a reflection of the 3D model that we're drawing. So as soon as I leave my hand sketch stage and it goes to one of our project managers to plug it into Archicad, um, the client gets to see things in 3D. We are showing 3D on day one. The very first preliminary draft, I am walking them in a 3D model and I'll toggle on whether they're in my office on two screens or whether I'm on Zoom going back and forth, but I will draw my regular 2D modifications and sketches and conversations and then I'll toggle real fast over to 3D and walk through the house and so if I'm marking up the kitchen, I'll then go into 3D and stand at the kitchen sink and look around and get a feeling for what I see. And in these stages, it's still really rough. Like I don't have crown molding in or it's not their exact finishes at all. It's, it's really rough, but it's all about spatial 
recognition because as you know most homeowners can't look at a 2d drawing and know what they're looking at they don't they don't look at plans like us every day all day so so you make it, you make the change in 2d sorry to interrupt you make the change in 2d and it's immediately reflected in the 3d model well not necessarily live in the meeting i i sort of do the the red line sketch but then i'm popping into the existing live 3d model to show them now i do have some project managers I don't want to sell this like we do this all the time, but it does happen where a project manager will be in the meeting with me and they will make changes live that on 2D that will reflect in 3D and vice versa. But cool. that, is a, that isn't the norm. Typically, I sit with a client, come up with a series of red lines as I'm walking through the current 3D model, and then we go back to the drawing board, update it all, and send a set of 2D drawings and 3D drawings and then walk through it all together. That's pretty cool. And so as far as 3D, we're showing them high-res still images, but I'm also walking them through a little bit more of a cartoonish kind of live working model that we, again, I'll walk through the entire house. And if I were to zoom out, the outside initially is just kind of like a blob. You know, I, I, I know where my roofs are going and I have a general idea where the exterior is going, but it's it's typically pretty rough in the beginning. But the cool thing about it is I'm able to model, model the site, meaning the topography from day one. So the builder, even in the very beginning, especially with some lots with lots of topography, we're able to have those conversations from day one of like, hey, where do you think we're cutting or how much are we filling or here's what we need to do and here's how we position this. And and also certainly on infill lots, it shows homeowners like here's what this mass kind of looks like on this site and, and here's how much it fills it up. Um, and it works really well for larger sites as well. We're able to bring in all the topography and everything and we're able to bring in the sunlight, by the way. I can say, okay, at noon on a Wednesday and on April 1st, the light is here and here's what it looks like to stand in that family room and see the light come in. So, cool. so it's certainly a lot more robust and, and I think the timeline ultimately is longer, but it has streamlined the process for the homeowner. The homeowner can visualize, they can make decisions. They can say, I like that. Or, you know what? I, now, now I see that, I know that I don't like that. And, and that is really, so the process all in all is longer. The, the transition from one stage to the next is, is much quicker. And I think it's just it's a better experience. And when I, you know, interview clients or they interview me, I'm, I'm really interviewing them, obviously. But I, I bring clients in and have a 30-minute meeting with them before we do any sketching or anything and kind of go through this process. And as soon as I show people all of that 3D, especially if they've done this before and, and they, they, they were in 2D in the previous drawings, we get... Um, it's it's never it's we get like every single i want to say every single project because we don't get every single one but if i interview somebody and sit down with them chances are we're getting that job once i show them our process and how everything works yeah That's a high cool. kill rate it's really cool as long as we're a good fit yeah yeah so what cool. what is your uh, you know i feel like we skipped this whole part what is your background that led you to doing this and like getting started and all of that yeah man so the foundation of it all is art. Uh, I was always an artist, um, not officially, but I would doodle in class all day and, instead of doing work. And so uh, I would draw, I'd get home and I would draw all night. And Is and anybody officially it, ever in Certainly wasn't houses, not one of these guys that said, I've, I've been drawing houses since I was seven years old. I had zero desire to draw houses. I was just drawing cartoon characters and Bart Simpson and, and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Um, but always had that art background. Um, but my, my, Dad is a, a tile guy, as I say, <laughs> and my brother, who's seven years older, went into construction when he got out of college. My grandfather was a civil engineer, 
Um, oh, yeah. And then he ultimately taught at a school called Wake Tech, which had a two-year architecture program. He, he taught statics and strengths of materials, as well as architectural history. So all, all of that was kind of like around me in the back of my mind. And somewhere around 11th grade, it was, hey, what, what do you want to do here? I knew it was going to be an art, and then it was sort of natural progression of maybe it's in construction. When I was a kid, you know, with my dad, I would go out on site and sort of walk through all these framed houses um, while he was doing tile work in the next house. It was a little farther along. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not one of these kids that I don't want to pretend like I helped him. Um, he wanted me to help, but I just was more interested in like playing on the side. And I don't know, back then in the eighties, you could, you could like burn trash, all the trash outside. We would just burn. So I was the kid out there out front when I was like 10 years old, starting the fire, burning all the trash in front of the site. That was my favorite thing to do with my dad. Yeah, exactly. So um, ultimately decided to go to this two-year school that my grandfather taught at with the the sort of the idea to then transition to NC State, which has an architectural program. And um, I started... You know, I started my first year, and then the second year, I, I started working for an architectural firm. Um, it was a home designer, technically, and I was, you know, 20, 20 21 years old and, and realized that I was like, wait a minute, I don't I don't need an architectural license to do, like, you don't have an architectural license? Like, n- nobody in this town, all these guys that draw all these houses, none of them have architectural license? And I was a 20-year-old kid, and I was... You know, my friends were working at, at in fast food and stuff, and I was like suddenly making what I felt like was all this money, and I'm like, I, I'm just going to do this. Like, what? Why would I go back to school? I regret that now. As crazy as that sounds, I, I do regret it. I, I wish I went back, but I just hit the ground running. I didn't even finish my second year. I just jumped into an architectural firm, started as a draftsman, and um, essentially was in the position which a lot of my guys are in, where the the owner would sketch. And then I would take those sketches and plug it into AutoCAD 14 at the time. Um, and I worked there for three or four years. And, and just like every other firm, as we were describing, we, we would take our drawings and send it to structural engineers and several different engineers. And, and one in particular, you know, we, we struck up a good friendship. And, and one day they were like, I think I was 23 or 24. And they said, hey, would you like to come over and, and start an architectural department within our engineering firm. It'd be really cool if we did like everything under one roof and, and you could draw the plans and, and we'll do the structural engineering when we start this thing. And I was like, Heck yeah, man, that sounds awesome. So I went over there and, and day one, I wasn't drawing plans. The first thing I did is they, they were still hand drawing. So the very first thing I did was got all their structural information into CAD and set up standards and everything. So I was wow. drawing beams from day one. So day one, they were, they were redlining all the drawings, all the joist layouts and foundations and roof plans. And I was putting all that into CAD. What I felt like was for like a year of just doing structural information. And so ultimately, you know, they would get people that would come in and be like, hey, can can you guys draw a house? But it, it was super, it wasn't like custom or anything. I mean, it, it was what was considered custom at the time in Raleigh, North Carolina, but it wasn't what I consider custom now. Mm-hmm. Mainly it was like, hey, I've got this Frank Betts plan. Uh, can you make modifications to it and change this up? And what Frank Betts, by the way, is a, is a, a stock plan um, seller that's based in Atlanta. Yeah. And back in, in those days, that was what was saturated throughout the Raleigh market was a bunch of Don Gardner. I was going to say him and Don Gardner are making it modify. happen. Yeah, man. And they would pay Frank Betts, of course, for the rights and everything, and then, and then send it to us and we would make modifications. And that's kind of how we started. And so started to build that business a little bit and hired one guy and, you know, a year later hired two more people. And so it's starting to form like the architectural side of the company 
Um, and somewhere along the line, some, some employees kind of shifted around and, and I was probably 25 at the time, 26. And I ended up being like the manager of the entire office. So I was the manager of the structural engineering team. Um, so guys that had structural licenses were sealing plans. I was managed the entire office. I say entire, it's 13 people. So it wasn't a ton, but I did the architectural piece and then the engineering piece until ultimately I was like, man, I'm doing all this architectural thing that the boss is not involved in that at all. I'm meeting with all the clients. I have a pretty good feel for this. And this is before like the really creative stuff, like as crazy as this sounds, I wasn't sketching. Like I wasn't, I wasn't doing all these hand sketches and showing people. It was just like cat operator, grab this information, make changes, put it into the system. And, and, and then, 2007, I got the courage up, kind of took a deep breath and, and went into my boss's office and sat down and said that I'm starting my own thing. Um, it was just really, really scary. It scares how me did, right now just thinking about it. And how did timing, you like that? 2007. So, two, yeah, man. How, so how did you like that? Um, um, he, you know, he, he offered me a partnership, essentially. It was like, hey, if you can kind of have like your own office and be a partner and meaning like there was an office building across the street. He's like, I'll get you that and you can go in. And that was a great offer, man. And, but, but I just knew, I, I knew that what I wanted to do is kind of go off on my own. Um, you know, my grandfather instilled in me this sort of entrepreneurial spirit. I just, I love the idea of kind of creating my own thing. And again, in the beginning, it was, it was more about like the entrepreneurial side and, and creating a business than it was like this sort of creative movement in the path that, that I'm on now. Um, and then, so I, you know, April 2007, started my first day at my house. And the very first thing that I did is I sat down and went through the Home Builders Association in Wake County, which is our, our local county, and emailed every single builder a little pamphlet, a little flyer that I made at Office Max, and, and then it had all our prices. And then I started to get calls. And I got calls from guys I was already working with, and I got calls from new people, and hit the ground running. And it just sort of like just took off. It was just me in, in a room in my house. And um, then 2008 hit. And essentially, it was funny. Is a what builder called me one day and was like, "Man, I, what, what's that? <laughs> See, <laughs> what happened? What happened in 2008? So, okay. 2008, a builder called me one day and said, "Hey, man, well, let, let me back up. Initially, what everybody started saying is very similar to now. Is I mean, people in California and Florida can't really sell their houses, so they're not moving here as much, and it's starting to slow down a little bit. But don't worry, we're fine here locally. And then it really started to tighten up locally, and then and then the bank." the banks hit. And so one day a builder called me and said, Hey, just so you know, I can't get any, like, I can't build a spec. The bank will not give me a loan to build a spec. And if I do a pre-sale, they have to have amazing credit. So it was around that time. It literally was like a faucet where I went from like crazy action. What am I going to do next? How am I going to handle all this work? I need to hire people to send, receive, or refresh on my email over and over again. Like somebody's had to email me today. I know somebody's emailed me <laughs> and there was no emails, no phone calls. And what happened was that all the calls stopped, all the projects that I had, they called and canceled, and all the builders that owed me money said, hey, man, I can't pay you. So it was like this big thing. But but luckily, at that time, I had zero overhead. It was me by myself. I had roughly a year of kind of making more money than I was used to because I was doing my own thing. And man, it just, it, it, it. It wasn't as bad as, as a lot of people had it. I was super fortunate. And so initially it was refreshing my email over and over again. Then it was like, uh, hey, Emily, my, my wife, I'm like, you, you want to go to a movie at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday? That sounds great. Let's do that. Or, man, I'm going to play golf today. That, that sounds great. And it kind of went that way for a while and until probably when I got to the point of like 
I need to send out some resumes. Like this is getting real. And I, and I have no other, like, again, I, I don't, I have this, I have one year of a two year college in architecture. What else am I going to do? You know, I, I don't know that I could start selling paintings or something like that. So I had, I was scared to death. So right about that time when it started to get really real and I'm like, all right, we're, we're running out of our savings. I need to get a job fast. Um, I got a call from a production builder that was just getting started called Forever Home. Um, initially, they had me come out doing a renovation on an existing house in the middle of the woods, but ultimately realized that they, they were going to demo those entire woods and create a neighborhood with lots for like, a, like 150 lots. So I got in with those guys and very early on, it was just production, like change this elevation, draw me, draw me one plan with eight elevations. And then, then another production builder came and another one. So initially I was just drawing for all these production builders. So it's just, again, like I was saying early, turn and burn quick as you can, not a ton of creativity, but I, I looked up in 2009 when a lot of guys were hurting a lot of big architectural firms in the area that were the leaders were kind of like falling um, or, or downsizing completely like down from 50 to three, you know, and, wow. and I was sort of going on my way up. And then in 2010, sort of 2007 to 2010, I was in my house. And in 2010, I hired my first employee and then just kind of built up that's great. from there. That's great. It was a long answer, but no, that's, yeah, that's no, what it's we good want. to hear those stories, especially, especially in those hard times. There's a lot of us have gone through those hard times. So hearing a different perspective on how somebody else survived it and clawed their way through it. It's, it's good to hear. Tony played golf. And, and you know, at the time ass. I was like, what an idiot. I can't believe I quit my job right then. It was like the worst timing that it could ever be. But when I, when, years later, kind of thinking about, about it, you know, I was like, man, if I would have stayed on, I would have been laid off just like everybody. So that engineering firm had 50 people and, and went down to, they, they ended up closing their doors. Oh wow! If I would have stayed on with those guys, if I didn't quit like right at that time, I would have fallen with all of them and been in the same situation. Or if I would have went on my own in 2006, I probably would have had two, three employees and would have had all this overhead and then really would have taken a hit. So it was really, you know, timing plays such a huge role in, in success, I believe. You know, it's a, it's a lot of hard work and pushing and trying to get to the next level of being in the right place in Raleigh, North Carolina, in one of the best construction markets in the entire country, unknowingly, right? And, and also being starting my company right in April of 2007 was the best thing that could have happened to us, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and a lot of time I mean, equals out to luck, really. A lot of times. Yeah, man. Take a little luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So when I've noticed on your in your Instagram feed, you you post a lot of uh, your actual hand sketching, what you talked about. Like you'll put it right on your iPad and you'll put it up on the on the Zoom. And you've posted yeah. a lot of that. Where you'll take an elevation that's maybe just uh, okay, and then you'll get the red pen out and you'll yeah you'll uh, dial it up, so to speak, with different elements and That's steeper it. roofs and but i also notice when you post those there's always this heavy metal music blaring in the background metallica tell me about you must be a metallica fan i get a I'm, kick out I of am, it metallica is going to call me either day either any day and they're going to say one of two things one I, thank you so much. So awesome. Love that you're doing that. Or you're going to say, like, dude, stop playing my music. Like 90% <laughs> of all your videos. It's ridiculous. So I, I do love Metallica. I love music is a huge part of my life. Music and art, huge, huge parts. And, and I'm creatively confused with music as much as I am in, in architecture. Um, but it's again, a huge part. And I try to sort of play to that. And look, man, I, I just, I can't get on the whole vibe with everybody playing 
John Mayer on no offense to, to Zane going to the John Mayer concert, but I just can't get on that. I can't get on that bus of everybody playing all this lighthearted fun stuff. Wow. And and that does it does go really well when my drone guys like panning around a house. It feels pretty good, but with sketching with the video sped up times ten and it just yeah. feels better to have a little right. bit of metal music. And it's a way to kind of stand out. And I, I'd say I get equally as, as many comments on the music as I do um on the architecture you're the head, head banging like, home designer stop posting that metal dude that's that you're awesome. crazy stop posting that stuff and my <laughs> drone guy's like man i just can't i can't i can't do rob zombie on a drone fly around man it doesn't work <laughs> um <laughs> but it feels good to me it's, it's who i am i just want to project like who i am and and the vibe of kind of what i'm thinking and feeling when i'm when i'm drawing these things that, that's the music i'm listening to when i'm right. when i'm sketching. i'm gonna ask you for a favor okay lay it on me Friday is my is my fortieth birthday. All right. Nice. I want you to draw a sketch on Friday and upload it, but I want the background music to be boys to men. <laughs> nice. And I don't want you to nice. tell anybody that you did that for me. I just want you to do it. How do you think that's gonna go? Maybe I'll do it as a story. That'd be a nice boys to men's a good story. <laughs> Oh, this I mean, this won't release until after real necessarily. This I know. Until after, so particular. everyone's going to be like, "What the heck is going on with Tony?" <laughs> 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 That's your gift to me, Tony. I know we just met. Nice but, boys to bed. It is nineties music. It's mainly what I play. Yeah. I mean, John Mayer's okay, but Boys to Men is fire. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I had many a mixtape since a girlfriend's in 1992 with boys to men on there for sure. <laughs> so I'm not opposed to it. Right. I'm down. That's good. I'll, you may get your wish. I'll be today. looking for it. Happy, happy for you, buddy. Thank you. I'll be, it's pretty awesome. I'll be looking for it on Friday. Don't worry. <laughs> no I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that refresh thing like you were doing on your email. God, I know he's. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> Any minute he's gonna put post yeah. boys. To Here it comes. Water runs dry. Right and make it the sketch. Make it like the ugliest house you've ever designed. Make it the, <laughs> I can't, the worst. I can't do that. I can't. <laughs> I'll post boys to men, but I'm not posting an ugly design. At least intentionally. At least what I feel is ugly. Other people may. Motown Philly would be a good. All right, one. something something roofs. that reminds us of Zane. Like I don't know, a Dutch colonial or something. I don't know. Nice. We, we do Dutch I don't, even, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is that Jamie? How's it going up there, man? It's good. Just you know, just taking it all in. Nice, man. <laughs> Jamie's like, <laughs> we're hanging in there. We're getting pounded with some more rain out here in Cali. So, are you? Nonstop earthquakes and rainstorms. Yeah. I, Is it raining right nice. now? It is raining right now. Are you guys seeing like a, a big slowdown there where you are or, or is things pretty steady? It's uh, I don't know. I'm trying to gauge it. It's, I mean, we're, our pipeline's full. So we're on an uphill trend here. Um, but I'm getting calls. I'm getting calls from um, guys looking for work. Interesting. You know, I don't know if that's just all the rain in the winter kind of stuff. It's kind of hard to tell, but I got calls today looking for contractor to do some work on their house. So it's, it's still here. <laughs> Mike's dogs. Nice. nice. <laughs> the dogs are... Sorry, guys. It's all right. You know, it's it's funny. You know, 
Speaking of slowing down, we, we Raleigh, North Carolina hasn't really slowed down. I think November, December, it was like a little bit slower than normal. We're, we're generally November, December, and January, are like our busiest time of the year with everybody wanting to get things off their yeah. plate and get things started. But this November and December, it, it wasn't like slow, but it wasn't like the, the craziness that, that COVID generated. It, it was just kind of like trickled in like, man, we're not getting like eight calls a day. What the heck is going on? Yeah. And so I was a little, a little scared and, it, it's sort of like my spotty sensors are going off and, and thinking 2007 again. And then ultimately January, I don't know, 6th or 7th, somewhere in there, it started to pick back up. And now we're back to crazy again. Is yeah, it's, weird as that sounds. I, I don't know where to it's going it. with mean, the banks and everything, but it's... Yeah, it's I mean, they keep raising interest rates. I mean, it's going to cool it off. I mean, sure. it has to. Yeah. But we're in the Bay Area. It's I pretty mean, much always crazy. People got yeah. money. They got cash. Yeah. And that's that's us. We're in this weird spot where a lot of our clients aren't, aren't as concerned with interest rates. They're certainly concerned about the stock market, but interest rates, yeah. not as much necessarily. So, Tony, how, yeah, exactly. how are you? Uh, well, one, how many people do you have working for you? And like, how is that structured? How are they all structured now? Great question. Um, and, and this is ever changing, but but right now we have 12 people. I have an office manager that handles all the, I mean, she, she wears so many hats, but yeah. she handles all the incoming uh, calls and all the incoming jobs and scheduling. Um, and, and then we have me, who's the owner and the lead designer. So I sit down with every client, not necessarily at every single meeting, every single time, but I sit down and kind of come up with the vision. I have a senior designer that just promoted Billy to that position, which which ultimately he's going to start taking over some of some of the meetings. You know, not everybody. Billy. Yeah, yeah, Billy, but but not. It, it's funny. We we certainly. I would say the majority right now. Everybody wants to sit with Tony Frazier. Like I want to oh, sit yeah. with Tony Frazier and do the whole thing. But there's a lot of clients, especially builders, that don't. They just need something done. So Billy's going to start off kind of taking those and then build that up and. And then we have project managers that, that essentially are the, so I work with project, I, I do the design lead, create the, the hand sketch, though it's really rough. I don't, I don't sit down with vellum and make it pretty like a lot of guys do. I, I do the rough sketch with the client, give that to one of my project managers, and then ultimately they plug that in. I look at it, mark it up. We go back and forth 10 times and then send it off to the client. And, and they kind of run that project. And um, then we have draftsmen that ultimately all they do all day long are just plug in all the details, all the notes, dimensions. You know, once the project manager kind of gets it to a certain point, they give it to the draftsmen that, that plug in all of those things. But it's sort of trailed into with the 3D, like the draftsmen are also doing renderings and things where we used to send a lot of that out um, and still send some of it out. But a lot of times now we're doing all the renderings. So when I show a client renderings of the inside of the house, all these still images and and outside as well, that's our internal draftsman doing that. Um, and I was saying it's ever-changing because lately we're playing around with the idea of sort of playing off the strengths of each project manager and saying, okay, this project manager is going to do this piece, and this project manager is really good at exterior modeling, and they're going to do the exterior model, and this guy's really good at, and, and sort of like forming a team, yeah. and then having a guy that's not me, kind of like, we, we're calling it the maestro right now, but we haven't settled on this, but they're going to talk with the client, make sure everything's in line, make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to. And they're, they're on top of that project at all times. And, and the reason that came about is initially when I first started the company and I had like two or three guys, you know, we were drawing in production homes and it wasn't as, as sort of robust. And over the years, I'm like, hey, project manager, you now do this. Or, By the way, you now do this. And it's sort of like just stacked up. And I found that even though everybody's a really, really good guy, not everybody's great at managing as well as they are drawing or not everybody's really great at 
they're more they're, they're better at managing or they're better at 3d and they're, they're not as good as 2d or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be and so the idea of the teams kind of came out like why get rid of this guy because he doesn't meet these 10 criteria that now are associated with a project manager this guy can draw floor plans better than anybody and is so great at sales let him just do those things yep. and get this guy that just wants the 3d model all day and he's really good at roof lines and everything get him to do that so we're we're just I'm sort of revealing this now to you guys. It's a big deal. We're just now starting that on one or two projects to see how it goes. Um, yeah. You'll find that it'll, it'll have success. It'll pay that. dividends. Yeah. The, the, when you have a team atmosphere like that, everybody, everybody wants to tell me how to get rid of a guy who's not good at this or that. My, basically my job is to put the right guys in the right positions in the company. And when you do that, it thrives. So that, you guys are awesome definitely on the right man. track. And, and I feel like I'm sort of late to that game where, again, initially when I hired a few guys, it was just like, hey, I'm going to give you the sketch. You just do it. And and sort of like thinking that, you know, Tony Frazier show type mentality of the business versus like a real working company, you know, and, and I've delegated over time and, and I'm still getting better at that and trying not to micromanage at all. Um, you know, the age old thing, like I can do it better than all of them or yeah, nobody's going to care as much as I do. And, yeah. and really, I found that you have to put people in place that are better than you at certain things, but also they're going to not necessarily do things as well as you would in certain areas. But those are areas that you have to concede on and realize I need to step out of that. And once you step out, then you can see the big picture and go, OK, here's where the holes are. Here's yep. what we need to systemize. Here's where processes need to be to kind of cover that. And a builder told me a while ago is kind of like a mentor to me. He's like, man, what, what you need to do is take like two days off a week or take every Thursday off. And when you do that, then they're not there because essentially there's this bullpen here at my office and all I do all day, I'm in meetings and I pop out and then everybody's raising their hand like, and I'm popping around to all these things and solving everybody's problem. And so I'm, I'm and this is why I promoted Billy as well, Zane. So I, I'm, I'm trying to step out and I've been sort of developing this over the last year of let me get out of the picture and let these guys mm-hmm. kind of run well, it. And then sure. I can kind of oversee and and shift things around while still being realizing that Tony Frazier is kind of like the, the face and the name of the company. Yeah. And I want to kind of keep that and keep that design lead role, but do things that I'm, that I'm good at. Like I don't want to manage. I just want to draw awesome houses. I want to meet mm-hmm. with clients. I love meeting with people and mm-hmm. sketching and, and I, I love, I'm sort of like the visionary obviously. So I want to take time to figure out the yep. next direction of the company and exactly. what software should we jump on next or where should we go and what processes should we have? Those are the things that, yep. that I'm good at. I'm not good at going like, Oh, you want to raise? Cool. Here's what you haven't done. And here's what you did. That's not me. Right. I don't want to do yeah. that. You know? So it's, uh, and there's a million other things that I'm not good at or don't want to do that. I need to well, put people in and place. And they'll all grow happening. as you remove good. yourself from that role, as you remove yourself as the problem solver, you know, I, I, who guys, was it at builder 20 when, when somebody said, and I can't remember who don't come to me with problems unless you have a solution. Was it, right. was it there? I can't remember who said it. That's really good. But, show, yeah. um, but he said, you know, don't come to me with your problems unless you have a solution first and then let's talk through it. And, uh, I thought that was brilliant. I wish I could give somebody credit right now. I know it wasn't one of you two idiots. So, <laughs> It wasn't me. It wasn't, it wasn't me. I, I mean, that. My <laughs> Such wise words. But yeah, for sure, so because as they, you remove they, yourself from that role, people will have to come up with a, with a solution, you know, and they are going to screw up, you know, but I think you as the guy, I think that's where you kind of ease back in as the guide during those things. You know, I mean that we've, we've had to learn that. Oh, there's a learning curve yeah. there. 
You know, it's funny that you say that even, you know, I, I've mentioned Billy three times now, but since promoting him like a month ago, I'm already seeing like when I'm not there to to help and answer questions like in, in sort of like, hey, man, you're now this role. It's this big thing. He's, st- he's stepping into these positions yeah. where I felt for so many years. I'm like, man, I don't really have any like leaders like like me when I was like 22 and, and in this engineering firm, I was like pushing whatever I had to do. I'm I want to be the top. And, and I wasn't really seeing that from any of my guys, but I'm seeing it as I step away, suddenly you start to see it like, yeah. Oh, it's because yeah. I'm there. I'm there. I'm yep. their crutch kind of holding everything yep. up and they don't want to step on my toes. Right. And once I get out of the way, I'm like, Oh, I'm starting to see these things emerge that, that are not necessarily the way I would do it, but now let me systemize and process it. So it's all the same thing. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, I'm at the it's beginning neat. of it admittedly, but it's pretty cool. You know, we all you did know? that yeah, it is cool. because, you know, we had to, to start our own businesses and make our businesses go, we all had to do it, you know? So we hire these people and then we're the ones that think that we have to do it. Mike, Mike, Connolly, Mike, Connolly. <laughs> um, but then you might hire somebody that becomes better than you, you know, but, but all you got to do is right. give them a little freedom right. to, to operate in that. And it's pretty, you cool. know, well, yeah. Plus, plus, you're building a business, and it's these guys can focus on something where, yeah, you're you're good. You muscle through yeah. because you're you. You're the entrepreneur. You're the go getter. You're hungry, but they can actually focus on that project where, yeah, you can look at it and answer it quickly. But you have ten other projects, ten right. clients, right. payroll, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah. It's well, it's I a neat thing you know, to see your team grow. Happening where, where since I brought in the office manager a couple of years ago, like she's so much better at organization and dealing with all of those things than I am. Um, the, those young guys that are coming in right out of school can render. I mean, men they learn rendering software and new software. Like for us guys that have been drawing the same software for ten or fifteen, twenty years, yep. it was a hard transition. These young guys that I get right out of college, right out of architecture school, they learn that software in like a month at the most. They just yep. roll. And so no, it's cool to see those young yep. guys kind of cultivate that and, and jump in and just do things that I could never do, you know? So it's, yep. it is, you're, you're right to say that they're, it's the goal, right? Is to pick people that are, that are better than you, better than 100%. you in all these different areas. Hopefully nobody that's better than you in all the areas, <laughs> but at least at that point. Well, that's, thing, that's, what, that makes, right yeah, that's what makes you, you, exactly. right? That's yeah. What yeah. Makes right. You. you can wear all the hats effectively. Right. That's right. That's right. And you, well, since I have nothing to add to this part of the discussion, I'm going to change it. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. For those who don't know, Mike does completely against having employees. So (laughs) it's a scary thing, Mike. I get it completely because my first employee, man, I was like, he's not going to do what I, and I would like email for him. Like, I'd be like, don't email the clients. You do the work, you email it to me. I'll check it over and I'll email them. And it started off like that, man. And and then like kind of grew out of necessity because I was growing. Like, you can't. You yeah. can't baby it. And even now, fast forward all these years, I can't really get past 12 people or take on much more work the way that I was running the company a year ago. Like I no. can't, you, you can't really systemize that. It doesn't work or sustain it. It just doesn't work. You know, yeah. you're kind of capped I, at some point. I got issues. Which is a good thing. That's but, fine. You know. I'll do it. <laughs> That's all right. No so shit. one thing I wanted to ask issues. you, you know, you're the person on the other side of the desk from us builders, right? What is yeah. the most common annoyance that you have with builders oh, as man. the home designer? Uh, when they pick up a pen and start to draw. <laughs> when, when when they start, and, and this goes for every. Okay, hold on, so I gotta take funny. notes here. Um, or, or you know you know what, in all seriousness, the thing that does bug me is a builder will, will email me and be like, hey man, I talked to the client on Wednesday night, we had a good conversation, here are the changes that we wanna do. 
and then boom, just send that to me. And I'm like, wait, wait, what, what happened? Like, yeah. And then I always make a joke, like, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because them and I like decided on on the a new budget and we came up with it. And I'm I'm gonna email you that too, so you don't you don't have to worry about the budget anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> I I like to be in, and this goes with clients too. Like, what makes up the best client? It's always, and this goes with builders as well. It's like, tell me your goal. And let me work towards getting you toward. I'll tell you how to get there. You just tell me the goal. And it's homeowners and builders alike. A lot of times, um, especially in, in Raleigh, for whatever reason, it was always the builder was or is the leader. It's not about the designer or the architect. It's about the builder is leading the show, and we're just another an, another trade, right? And so that mentality is they're they're the, they're doing the interiors, they're doing the design, they're doing everything. It's it's taking us a while to kind of get out of that territory. And so it, the natural inclination is for builders a lot of times to step into that role. And so that, that uh, I hate to say it's a pet peeve, but it's a thing, you know, but, but the guys that I've been working with for years don't, don't really do that anymore. It started yeah, off. We, we it, have an architect that we work with. It's always great when they tell this story, they're like, all right, so client comes in, you hire us, right. To design your home, but then you come in with drawings, right? Yes. Why are you hiring us to design the house if you're going to design it? That's like going to the restaurant and bringing a plate of food with you. Say, I'm going to eat this here at the restaurant. And you're not going to make it for me. I thought that's, that's a great a good, point. That's a better analogy. My analogy is always like I go to my financial advisor and say, I want you to invest in this and this and this and this and this. I did a lot of research last night. I, you know, I, I read for like 12 hours on investment. So I got this. You just do your thing. Or I'm like, you, you need and I. We have on our website, we have a list of, of questions that people fill out before they have our initial conversation. And a few, I, I guess I'm going to kind of reveal some secrets here, but a few of the things on there are, did you draw your own plan? Have you worked with an architect before, uh, like on the same house? <laughs> and, and are you building it yourself? And then we have like, you know, 30 questions, but like, those are my key questions. And I know right now I go, Rachel, let them know that unfortunately we won't be able to take this job even before they even meet me. And yeah. because over the years, the, the the big kickers are when somebody's like, I'm going to do it myself or, or, hey, I, my brother does this stuff. So the builder, hopefully we can find a builder where I can do like this part of the construction and they can do that part. Those are huge red flags. It sounds us. very similar. Um, but the too. biggest red flag is when somebody starts sketching because it, it says a little something about their personality. It's a, it's a type A type thing where I want to control this situation and, and tell you how to do it. But when, when I'm sketching a house, I'm thinking about all these different things like i'm not just thinking about the first floor and how that lays out i'm thinking about how the second floor stacks and again where are the views how does the sun come into that space how does it sit on the topography like i'm thinking about a multitude of different things i, I would say that i've had a few that have sketched and came in and i took the job and it went well but mo the majority of the time it's a precursor to a certain type of personality that that is very difficult throughout the entire process because they want to kind of understand every little intricacy and lead the way versus going, here are my goals. I, I know enough to convey things to you, but I want you to show me how to get there. Those are the best projects that go that yeah. way. Like, it is really hard like a house to show you how to get us. there. You know, you build a house right. for an engineer and right. everybody always tells you how they want it built, you know, or like, you know, we've had, uh, uh, gosh, we've, we've had people come in and tell people how to lay tile. We've had people come in and, and tell people how to paint and just stuff like that. And it's like, why do you think you know, you know better than this person that does it every day? The best answer for that situation, Cousin Johnny has it down to T. He had someone come in and tell him, you know, I want to do it this way. I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it this way. John goes, 
Well, geez, I can do it wrong if you want. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. What, what I do, admittedly, is when somebody slips through the cracks that does that is, it, and I hate to say this on a podcast recorded, is I will let them work with my project manager a lot more than I let them work with me. So I'll essentially, like, if you're going to send me over just a list of markups or sketch changes, and that's cool. Just go right to my project manager. They'll do it, show it to me, and we'll give you exactly what you want. But but what I want to do is every set of changes or every single thing, I want to have a meeting and have me sketch those out live because other things kind of like, like hey, here are my goals. And I'm like, well, did you think about this? Or or, or I get a different interpretation for them live and, and move things around and come to the goal much quicker than somebody sending me a list saying, move this room, move that room shift this space and yeah that's when i hand it over to the guy i'm like hey hey uh clay can you just make these changes real quick and, and just send it back over and in in their defense sometimes i only say this because i'm in this situation right now i have a client that you know we had a custom plan drawn for this big renovation and they wanted something different over the front door like a they wanted a stoop added and they were like can you just you know do something right there and i you know i can't draw a stick figure in front of a flat two-dimensional house on a piece of paper. Like I was like, no, I don't No, I can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, I, we're bringing the architect back. Like he's in town so he can meet us over there. But a lot of times it is client driven of like, let's just get this done quickly, you know, cause we're framing right now Absolutely. and you know, and it's just like, do we really have to involve somebody to get drawings and get it approved and get all, you know, and I, I me, That's I'm like, point. no, no, I can't. I just don't have that. We, we try to systemize it throughout the process where we're like, all right, we meet like at every meeting. Hopefully we schedule out like two more meetings. So we're already knowing that we're going to meet and we kind of save those things for that. But I can certainly see yeah. that, you know, sometimes people call me and go, hey, or, or email Rachel or the project manager and say, we need to sit down with Tony. We have some ideas. And then it's like, well, Tony can't meet for two weeks. Yeah. So I, I can see it from your side. Yeah. And the builder perspective. Like, I can't even at, talk to you for two weeks. At the same time, we don't want to lose a lot of time either because, you know, I, I was just telling somebody today, a project feel, gets momentum, you know, and, and when you stop all that momentum because you're waiting on something, then you got to get everybody back and get it, particularly right now. So it, you know, it can be difficult, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually with you on that. Let the professionals do what the professionals do and you're, everybody's going to be happier in the end. And you know what, you're, you're not going to be Absolutely. thinking about those, you know, that week or two that you missed, you're going to be thinking about how happy you are about the project. And you know, that's what I do when I go to my financial advisor. I say, I know nothing. Just yeah. make me more than 10%. That's it. Yeah. Do whatever you do, whatever you need to do. I'm just going to give you everything. I just want more than 10%. That's and, it. and I don't know what it is no about our, our industry. I, I've said this for years and years. I don't know what it is about our industry that everybody thinks they know more. Like, I'm not going to tell my doctor, like, listen, I know we need to have this operation, but here's how I want you to do it. I watched some videos on YouTube the other day. And this right. is what I think, you know, no, you know, I'm not telling that to really anybody right. else in life, but I think it's a little bit more reachable than a, than a doctorate, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, ultimately you're round houses all the time. And, and, you know, if somebody can halfway sketch and they have some graph paper, you know, you, you've all seen yeah. it, graph paper with no wall thicknesses and stuff just kind of like oh, yeah. pieced together. And Hey, this, this is exactly 3000 square feet. Make it work. <laughs> No, it's not <laughs> you forgot all the walls. You can do this, right? <laughs> yep. Exactly. Well, this is, I didn't mean to harp on that. This is great, Tony. Thanks for hopping on with us. 
Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sorry for going over a little. No, no, no not worries, not at all. We could. There is no over. We could go longer, but yeah, we got to stop. You're good. Thanks, guys. Great to see you. So, Thanks for having me on. Why don't you give it? Is, or, go ahead. Go ahead. Give everybody your handle, how they can find you on Instagram, all that stuff. Yeah, it's just FraserHomeDesign.com and Fraser's F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. Find us. Um, we're mainly on Instagram, but obviously I think Instagram kind of goes to Facebook as well. And then you can check out our website at FraserHomeDesign.com. Definitely a good follow for all you listeners. Yeah. Um, Tony's great. And if you listened to him or you tuned into his Instagram on Friday, you saw that he played Boys to Men. And you were probably wondering what the right. heck that was. <laughs> That's right. But now you now you know. Now you know that Tony didn't lose his mind. Awesome. It's funny, I don't think we ever got to the story or the chapters of like the design and kind of how all that kind of formed, but we'll do that for the next podcast. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Part two. Part two coming up soon. Part two. Congrats, Billy. Sounds great. Thanks guys. Great to see you all. See you, man. Thanks.